Welcome to the Innovation at Work podcast. Uh, today, our theme is manufacturing innovation, and I could not be more excited uh, to have a guest speaker who is both a friend and someone that I actually uh, look up to quite a bit. Uh, Anurag Garg is the Vice President of Product Management for Platform Analytics and IoT at Plex Systems. He's responsible for a broad number of things for Plex's connected manufacturing and in Inteliplex products. Did I say that right? That is correct. Okay, perfect. So, uh, so glad to have you today. Excited to jump into a number of fun topics. So, so welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, Robin. I've been excited for this all week. So <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to a fun conversation. Yeah. Well, I want to start off with just digging in a bit to your background because your origin story is very interesting and inspirational for me personally. You began as an entrepreneur uh, while still in school at Purdue and your accomplishments there really helped springboard you into founding a company and becoming a CEO uh, during that period of time. So I'd love for you to tell a bit about your entrepreneurial journey um, and, and some uh, key points along the way. Absolutely, absolutely. So the, my, my last venture, uh, uh, I, I started in 2013 called Bearing Analytics. But there's actually a story before the story that I don't think you and I have ever talked about. Oh, okay. Uh, which awesome. Is, which uh, might shed some light on, you know, talking about innovation and how you get an innovation mindset. So my, my first venture, the entrepreneurial bug, actually bit me way back when in high school. Okay. Uh, I went to a British international school in Thailand. And uh, in, in the UK, there's, a, there's this organization called Young Enterprise, mm -hmm. which uh, teaches... Um, uh, young people kind of gives them the skills, the uh, competencies, the mindsets to be able to make the most of everyday challenges and opportunities yeah. and be entrepreneurial where you can be. So we, we uh, I, I was part of that program and started my first business in high school, if you can call that a business, uh, <laughs> calling ourselves Chameleon Cards, we made and sold greeting cards. Oh, wow. Uh, no, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Market and, and, and we got a loan, got a, a digital photo printer that did edge-to-edge -edge printing, which is a brand new thing. Um, we got a pirated copy of Hallmark's card creation software to build I did cards. not just hear and that word. <laughs> <laughs> it's been long enough. <laughs> but, um, you know, had, had an absolute blast. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, not only was it a fun ride, we were able to uh, take uh, all the money that we had earned and donate it to the tsunami relief efforts. Oh, uh, wow. In Southeast Asia at the, end, at the end of 2004. So um, awesome. it was a good exposure to starting something, being entrepreneurial, and then doing good with it, right? So, yeah. Um, uh, you know, fast forward uh, to my time at Purdue. Purdue's got a great entrepreneurial mm -hmm. uh, ecosystem and uh, a good framework uh, within their business plan competitions uh, in, in entrepreneurship school to... Yeah. Uh, vet and test ideas. So I think in my entire nine years at Purdue or 10 years at Purdue, I must have dabbled with six or seven different ideas and yeah. attempts to start something, right? There was a, there was a software company to help uh, simplify the student, uh, student apartment rental experience because we all know how frustrating that is. <laughs> yeah. uh, there was an idea to um, uh, help reduce piracy of movies and music on college campuses. Yeah, also in a way that would help 
universities protect the students because students are becoming subjects to these lawsuits. Yeah. Um, there was an IoT uh, uh, venture to help with water conservation in the agriculture industry. Okay. Uh, until we realized we knew nothing about agriculture. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't going to go <laughs> I didn't know that you had so many different uh, in variety, such a variety of, of entrepreneurial and you're just like, you're just naturally called to this clearly. I, I, it's, you know, I, I call myself uh, an engineer by training and an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. So I went to Purdue yeah. for engineering uh, and I jumped into a direct PhD wanting to be at the bleeding edge of tech. Right. Um, uh, also somewhere in me, I guess I realized I must've made a terrible engineer because that just didn't <laughs> <wrong> <laughs> much. <laughs> but, but in 2013, um, um, we, we realized there was a sensor technology we had developed at, at Purdue in our research lab yeah. to monitor the health of mechanical bearings. Okay. And originally developed for the Navy, but with applications across heavy industry. And um, uh, we realized uh, there was potential to use this to uh, apply this in the wind industry to yeah. reduce unplanned downtime in wind turbines and reduce the cost of maintenance and apply this to the rail industry. Yeah. And the idea was, you know, we could, you know, with wind and rail, we could help uh, improve sustainability of clean energy and reduce the cost of clean energy yeah. um, and, and sustainable modes of transportation. So we took this and pitched it at a clean energy business plan competition. Uh, Department of Energy does a, uh, I don't know if they still do, but they, they, they yeah. used to do a clean energy competition, which was a national student business plan competition. Okay. And we ended up winning the Midwest Regional Challenge with a yeah. $100,000 check. That's, that's a substantial check. It was a substantial check and it was, you know, for, 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 for grad students, uh, um, it was a, well, okay, what do we do? Do we split this four ways and go to Vegas or do we actually start, <laughs> something, start something decent? <laughs> um, but that's, that, that's how it got started. We called ourselves Bearing Analytics and, yeah. um, you know, fast forward the summer of 2013, we went and did about 400 customer development conversations oh just to understand We've, we've got an idea, we've got a technology, we've got some capital. Is this enough to start a business? Are we solving the right problem? Right. And uh, what the market told us was, you know, sensors are great. This is a great widget, but what we really want is we want uh, the crystal ball. Can yep. you tell me two weeks before my machines fail or they're going to fail? Yeah. Um, and we realized it was, it, it, there was an easier entry point in the automotive manufacturing industry. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, the gap was how do you take data from manufacturing floors and make it available to the operator with contextual insights. So right. it's not just a sensor reading, but it's your weather app, right? 20% chance of failure in, in two days sort of right. thing. So it's really uh, the, pre the predictive piece was, that they were really interested in. Yeah. Yeah. It was empowering users with data and then giving them the foresight to prevent disruption before it happened on a manufacturing yeah. floor. And the value case, of course, was uh, you know, every hour of downtime cost five to $50,000 per hour per yeah. machine on the manufacturing floor. So how should that be reduced? Um, had a blast running that business for several years. Uh, 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 fortunately, you know, uh, uh, right place, right time. Uh, ended up on the Forbes 30 under 30 list as a result of that. That's uh, amazing. Uh, got a chance to work with some of the biggest automotive manufacturers, Harley Davidson and Toyota, uh, all the way down to um, uh, you know, uh, uh, a scrap yard in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, uh, <laughs> a customer, right? So, uh, just had an absolute, absolute blast, um, uh, uh, built a team in us and Pune, uh, yeah. uh, uh, to serve this. So 
yeah, ran, ran that venture for about uh, five years and, and, and had a lot of fun doing it. That is so awesome. I love that story. And I know we haven't hit on all of the milestones and all of you, all that you've accomplished. There's a, there's a very long list when I look at your bio that is so very impressive. Um, well, well, let's talk a bit about, okay, you started this business and then uh, you ended up, uh, you know, merging your company. Uh, that'll be my words to, with, with Plex mm -hmm. several years ago. Can you tell us about you know, how that came about and how that transition occurred. And then you've got a new role. Uh, yeah. you're, you've got, I'd love to hear about the, the role that you're in today and kind of what you're focused on. Yes, yeah. So um, so we got uh, uh, acquired by Plex. Excuse me. We got acquired by Plex in 2018, in summer of 2018. And it was, again, a very opportunistic thing. Um, uh, uh, had known one of the Plex board members from a, from a conference previously. Yeah. Uh, Plex is, is a 25-year-old company that, that uh, provides manufacturing software solutions to uh, 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 primarily the automotive industry, but, but, okay. but now vertically across you know, food and beverage and, and, and others as well. Right. Um, you know, helping manufacturers do everything from managing production, scrap, inventory on the shop floor to managing financials on the top floor managing their suppliers, uh, all the way to finished goods, including tracking work in progress. I mean, you know, okay. talk about shop for top floor supply chain to customer yeah. uh, in a single view and all the tools to help manage your, manage your business in a single enterprise suite. That really sounds um, like end to end. It was, it, it was fantastic. And, and, and one of the, one of the um, uh, visions we had with Datus was, you know, all this data that we're collecting off of manufacturing floors for predictive maintenance is fantastic. Mm -hmm. but, what do you do with it, right? What, what context does it fit into? And uh, uh, with the Plex leadership team, when we started having those conversations, the vision just fit. Yeah. Uh, that, um, you know, it was a chance to continue to build the vision we were after with Dennis. Right. Um, you know, uh, taking now shop floor machine level data and plugging this into con this larger contextual view of you know, running the entire manufacturing enterprise. Um, Culture-wise, great fit. Uh, yeah. Love the team, love the people. Um, uh, so my role now is I, <clears throat> I lead the product management efforts okay. for part of the Plex portfolio that includes our IoT offering, our analytics and data platform offering, our core platform for MES and ERP business, uh, our EDI offerings, as well as a user experience framework. Okay. So uh, just a I, small I, role. It's just a small role. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's uh, going from being an entrepreneur to being part of a larger um, enterprise, uh, you know, can sometimes be challenging. But um, kind of what, what's, what's helped me stick is not only this, this culture of innovation and continuous improvement, mm -hmm. um, uh, but also the chance to, you know, continue to operate somewhat like an entrepreneur in the role of product management, right? So, so yeah. I get all the fun of building products and selling and, 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 and seeing change. Uh, with the vision, without the stresses of having to manage uh, cash flow and PL yeah. and, and, and keeping people paid. So there's smarter people who run that at Plex and, and I get to go for the part that I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. no, that, sounds like, that sounds like a really good fit. That's awesome. Well, so I can tell from talking to you still, and I knew this from the day I met you, that you are so passionate about the opportunity to improve manufacturing. Um, and, and, to, and to innovate in manufacturing. Could you talk to me a little bit about, you know, what keeps you engaged and passionate, you know, with what you're doing and, and what you guys are achieving at Plex? 
Yeah, I, I, the, the you know it it's interesting. I talked about the, the young enterprise story in my first venture and, and kind of how how um, that that bug of being enterprising and and understanding everyday problems and challenges and making the world a better place. Yeah, um, that's still what drives me even with manufacturing. What gets what keeps me excited is how much potential there is for transformation in this industry. Yeah. And I look at it from both sides, right? On, on, on one side, uh, manufacturers and manufacturing both are facing some serious headwinds if you think about what the future may look like. Right? Yeah. 40% of the manufacturing workforce will retire in the next 10 years. How do yes. manufacturers continue to grow their businesses? Two out of three manufacturing plants are more than 20 years old. So you're trying to drive growth and operational efficiency and profits with aging infrastructure. Yes. Um, there's accelerating technology uh, uh, out there. And you know, this is one of those industries where you can't drive transformation with the top 10% of the market. You have to take everyone along because it's all one interconnected web and you can't leave someone behind, right? So yeah. uh, it, it, industry transformation is a big push. Um, it's challenging, but that's kind of what makes it exciting for, 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 for an entrepreneur. But on the other side, you know, the, um, uh, the fundamental definition of what it, what it takes to compete as a manufacturer has evolved. Yeah. Um, um, if you see what's happened in this industry over the last six months, right, um, it's clear th those manufacturers who are able to be agile mm -hmm. uh, are the ones that will succeed long term. Uh, right? The number of automotive parts manufacturers that, that, that transition to making ventilators and reading oh, yeah. card companies that, that that shifted to making PPE equipment. Yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And food and beverage companies that transitioned to making san you know hand sanitizer. I mean, it, it, it's phenomenal uh, uh, how how uh, agility has helped some of these manufacturers succeed and continue to grow. Yeah. And how do you drive uh, an industry transformation with that need for agility, global supply chains? Um, you know, lots of opportunities for efficiency improvement and cutting waste. So as, as an engineer who's out there looking to creatively solve problems, mm -hmm. looking for efficiency and realizing how much, um, how much uh, transformation manufacturing is about to go through and can go through. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's, it's just, there's, there's so much opportunity and, and, and it's hard not to get excited about so I think one of the things that I'm really impressed with, you mentioned the fact of how quickly companies have, um, you know, kind of pivoted to make ventilators and PPE and all manner of things. And, and that's done in record time with a really compelling event, right? Something really had to happen uh, in some cases for really kind of the survival of the company, but also to meet a critical need you know, globally. So I guess my question, maybe a follow-up question for you would be, that agile mindset can help transform the whole industry. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think has to happen for us to continue with that level of agility for manufacturing transformation, which, mm -hmm. could, which could mean dramatic changes uh, for, for all the companies that you know, are kind of riding along with that change? Uh, uh, absolutely. And, and, and you know, it's, the, the more and more I think about it, and if you think about what, um, what drives agility and all the other things we do, it, it's our ability to respond to change, right? Yeah. It's, it's our ability to, to take data and process the data quickly and then be able to respond to it and, and, and shift course of action if need be, right? We, we see that in how we do software development. Yes. We see that in how we run our, our, our startups. 
yeah. we see that in, in how large enterprises behave. So manufacturing floors are not that different. Um, uh, for, for manufacturers to be agile, they have to have um, the infrastructure to be able to collect data, consume data, yeah. and, 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 and be able to pivot based on what new information they're seeing, right? Um, the uh, our old archaic paradigm of um, 200 software systems to solve one problem each yes. or keeping paper trails uh, of data that you know takes forever to kind of sift through and figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, you just can't respond to it fast enough. Yeah. Um, and then of course there's the you know uh, shifting manufacturing lines and what you can and cannot do and uh, being closer to supply chains. Uh, you know all those things factor in, but it's but it's it's the idea that can you run your entire um, enterprise or ecosystem uh, uh, in a coherent manner, or are you running each each of your two hundred pieces individually and separately without without clear integration? Yeah. <clears throat> The integration piece has always really fascinated me from, you know, from my previous roles in supply chain and, you know, MES systems. Um, and I can't, you know, it's hard for me to get my head wrapped around not having access to all the different pieces of data that you might need or dealing with in number of systems. It's just, uh, it's hard for me to, to get my head wrapped around. It's also hard for me to kind of get my head wrapped around where are we with you know, IOT, um, and I know you've got significant experience in mm -hmm. the Internet of Things. Can you, especially in, in this space, could you talk a little bit about what does this even mean? Give, give me a definition of, uh, of IOT and, and kind of what are the trends that you're seeing given, you know, the backdrop of this need to be agile and systems and data? Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so... You know, we, 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 throw, we throw around the term IoT, uh, <clears throat> become a bit of a buzzword. Yes. But, but the, you know, one of the best explanations that I heard that simplified IoT for me uh, early on in my career in this field <clears throat> was that it, it, it's nothing but the convergence of two technology revolutions we've seen and heard for a long time, right? One is the information systems revolution that, that uh, started yeah. with DARPA that allowed people to communicate across vast distances across the internet uh, and, and, and all the e-commerce stuff that started with. And the other is the embedded systems revolution, right? Which is yeah. how much power can you put in a chip to help control the physical world around you? Right. If you put these embedded systems, these things on the internet, now you can uh, not only help people communicate, but you could allow exchange of information between physical subsystems, these things right. that drive better efficiency, right? So in the consumer world, um, you know, your coffee machine might know when you got out of bed to start making your fresh cup of coffee before you have to press the Yes, the it does. <laughs> <laughs> that is an absolute uh, requirement. Exactly. Um, uh, but on the, man uh, on the manufacturing floor, um, there's some really, really, really interesting use cases, right? Yeah. Uh, in manufacturing floor is this massively interconnected system of machines and material flow and people movement um, where every action impacts the next. And the ability to pull mass volumes of data off manufacturing floor and be able to contextualize it and drive better decision making um, is what IoT enables, right? So if I have, if I have um, uh, five CNC machines running the production line, and if I see one start to fail, 
uh, can my system tell me how to distribute the workload across the other four so I still meet my production targets? Yeah. Um, if I have uh, a manufacturing facility in <clears throat> Indiana and another one in California, um, and, and if I see a failure on a pump in California, uh, could that data instantly help notify against a potential incoming failure on a pump in Indiana, right? Yeah. Um, uh, could you help these machines learn from each other? And, um, uh, you know, one part of it is the data collection, the other part of it is contextualization and decision-making. So as an example, you know, one of our, um, one of our uh, uh, customers at Plex uh, was able to use IoT on the shop floor. They're, they're vertically integrated metals manufacturer. Um, and one of the steps is they take stamped metal parts um, and they heat treat them. It goes through a long heat treat furnace and a quench tank and, and, and whatnot. Um, uh, and, and from the start of the process, again, the process takes about an hour and they have no visibility into what the machine, what, what, what was happening. conditions the parts may be going through. Yeah. Um, or uh, you know, if they see failure on this furnace, it's a week's worth of downtime because you have to wait for the 1600-degree furnace, furnace to cool down. You have to yeah. take the parts out. Uh, you know, uh, five figures worth worth of parts uh, plus labor plus lost production. Yeah. They were able to get to a thirty percent reduction in on plant machine downtime. Oh wow! Um, and huge. a ten percent reduction in plant maintenance expense, and a ten percent improvement in job transition time. That's I mean, talk amazing. about what access to data can do to help help the manufacturer be more agile. Yeah. Right. I can plan downtime in between shifts and fix things before it takes my system down yep. during production hours, right? right. Uh, uh, predictive maintenance is one of the most, one of the easiest use cases to get a hang of. Yeah. Um, you know, you think about using IoT on manufacturing floors to improve data access, improve data accuracy, provide notification for early warnings, right? Your check engine light in your car or your weather app that says so much time before uh, before rain or take an yeah. umbrella out, uh, prevent disruption, improve quality control, uh, yeah. improve trace traceability, right? So if I have a bad part, can I trace it all the way back to the manufacturing plant and say which other parts were impacted? What was the machine doing when this part was being manufactured? Um, and can I quarantine the, 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 the 10 parts that may have been impacted as, as opposed to uh, you know, recall everything that was manufactured that month. Right. Uh, uh, if you think about those applications in the automotive industry and yeah. preventing the recalls, like we had with the airbags, and uh, 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 in the food and beverage industry, right, uh, preventing the scale of recalls we've had with uh, 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 contaminant outbreaks in food. Um, right. right. That's that's a power of what data and IoT and shoppers can do. That's pretty amazing. And I mean, there's uh, no doubt that's just the tip of the iceberg and some of the stories you have. I'm curious, are, what about how, you know, IoT in kind of that process optimization piece, mm -hmm. how does that help the, the frontline worker? Are there, are there applications that you can think of where there's a direct correlation for that worker, whether they're in, whether they're doing that unplanned maintenance or now the planned maintenance because you were proactive or maybe in another scenario. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's plenty, plenty of applications. Um, uh, early on in the days of, of bearing analytics, um, you know, we spent a lot of time in the surface coal mines um, yeah. in West Virginia. And, uh, you know, um, uh, got my first introduction to IoT for safety. Yeah. where uh, these heavy machines 
um, you know, uh, the workers will be wearing uh, uh, a, a vest with sensors and yeah. these machines would stop moving or power off if they got to within 10 feet of an operator. Right. Like talk about IoT to help improve safety. Yeah, impact. absolutely. Um, uh, if you think about uh, IoT to help improve um, improve uh, 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 time uh, savings. I'm not, phrasing, phrase, I'm not phrasing that the right way. IoT to save time on manufacturing floors, right? Yeah. How much time does it take to go and manually record temperature and vibration for maintenance applications? When you can And then maintain it. paper trails when you can automatically collect that data and, yeah. and, and use, um, use people time for things with, you know, humans add value. Yeah. Um, yeah. And automate sense. the process. The process that could be automated. Yeah. Uh, you know, we spent some time <clears throat> at a... Um, a uh, big trailer manufacturer um, in their paint booth line several years ago. And um, uh, they had a wastewater control process where mm -hmm. they take wastewater, treat it before, before dumping it back to the city. And uh, their approach to compliance was the, uh, the, the uh, 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 environmental, health, environmental and, and health safety person would walk up to this wastewater control system, take manual readings once a day, go back to his desk, record them in Excel, maintain that paper trail for so long, um, you know, you could automate that data collection and provide early right. warnings as opposed to kind of, you know, go, go through manual process. Right. And the translation of that on, on, on manufacturing floors <clears throat> for frontline workers is, uh, you know, preventing them or, or you know, uh, uh, from having to go into say septic environments yeah. Uh, yeah. or hazardous environments to collect right. data. Right. Uh, um, you know, uh, so much, so much could be automated and improve the safety of the equipment of the people. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about kind of the hierarchy of controls and, you know, controlling and engineering out mm -hmm. the risk for people that that's where this is, this is huge. And then certainly there is a leverage brains for something different, right? When you can, when, yeah. when tech can actually do the work. So the, exactly. And if, and if you overlay that with the idea that, 40% of the workforce will retire in 10 years. Yes. How do manufacturers continue to operate if not, um, you know, automate the tasks that can be automated and use yeah. human labor to do what only people can do? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it makes total sense. We're, 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 losing, we're losing years and years of expertise. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is a huge uh, need to automate um, because, because we are losing that expertise as people retire out. So Exactly. Well, let's zoom out. Let's zoom out a bit. Yeah. So I, let's talk a bit about the trends that you see um, maybe more broadly toward the, the transition to smart manufacturing. I know we've, you've talked a bit today um, about maybe some of the, the manufacturing systems that are in place that mm -hmm. maybe, maybe aren't that modern. So what is, what's happening um, from a trend perspective to, to modernize you know, systems from, from a manufacturing perspective? So the last six months have been eye-opening for manufacturers, um, both from the perspective of technology vendors as well as, as manufacturers that we talked to. And you know, I, I talked about the, the uh, definition of competitiveness in manufacturing, the fundamental paradigm for what it takes to compete has shifted to, you need to be more agile, you need to be more responsive, you need to be better able to leverage data. Uh, and manufacturers are now realizing the urgency 
uh, and the need to do that. Otherwise, you know, um, they may struggle to stay in business. And what that's translating to is, uh, you know, a lot more manufacturers are fundamentally taking a hard look at moving away from old tool paper processes to automation and maintaining digital thread uh, because that helps improve responsiveness. A right. lot more manufacturers are looking at uh, moving to cloud systems as opposed yeah. to on-prem, right? We, uh, we had a number of manufacturers that said we could run our business through this pandemic because we did not have to have on-prem IT serving and managing these 200 IT systems that we had. Yeah, yeah. Um, I forget, right? I forget yeah. about those days. I, you know, I've been, I've yeah. been working in cloud technology so long, I forget about what it's like to have those on-prem systems. It's a, it's a heavy lift. Exactly, um, exactly. It, 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 it's painful to manage um, and it's a heavy lift and you have to be there in person to run it. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot of manufacturers are realizing, you know, the, the, the need for the single pane of glass, right? Yeah. Uh, we had a customer that, 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 you know, when I say 200 systems, I wasn't exa exaggerating. It was literally. Was big, uh, kind of wheel hub manufacturer for, for the heavy trucking industry. Um, and they, they had 200 different subsystems that ran their enterprise. They consolidated down to something in the single digits. Wow. Um, and the efficiency that came with, right? Helping keep the entire enterprise aligned. Um, um, a lot of manufacturers are realizing the uh, risks that supply chains introduce uh, uh, and, and globally distributed supply chains introduce. So, so they're looking at how do we manage supply chain risk and maybe move, move things closer together. Um, they're realizing the need to um, have accurate tracking of inventory and work in progress. Right. Um, and, and the ability to, to respond quickly, right? Uh, um, uh, so if you, if you look at that at a high level, um, what the last six months have done um, to the manufacturing industry through this pandemic is, is, is it's kind of accelerated this manufacturing transformation we've been talking about. Yeah. Because it's become clear if you don't do this, you will become dinosaurs and you will struggle to exist. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it, it, it's exciting because, uh, you know, uh, many fashion is generally known to be uh, slow to adopt technology. Um, yeah. And this is, this is accelerating the transformation. No, that's, that makes total sense. And, you know, we talked a bit already about COVID's impact and you talked about, you know, ventilators and PPE really adapting mm -hmm. a manufacturing, uh, you know, floor to, to produce something else. Mm -hmm. I, I want to talk a bit about, you know, other impacts kind of of COVID on manufacturing. And it could be that you got to be more competitive right now and you need to think mm -hmm. about retrofitting, mm -hmm. you know, your manufacturing uh, floor. I'm curious, I'm curious about that and what, what do you see some of the impacts are? And then I have a very, a very simple question. I view it simple, but I'd love to hear your take on it. And so, you know, there's clearly still supply chain issues that, mm -hmm. that we have for a number of products. And, you know, we know we had a kind of a run on paper goods, for instance, mm -hmm. early when the pandemic hit. And, um, you know, it's still sometimes challenging to find you know, unique goods and, and paper goods still seem to be sort of an issue. So I'd love to kind of hear your take on, uh, you know, kind of, kind of COVID's impact on manufacturing um, and how that can kind of serve as, again, a, a tailwind and some momentum to drive some of the changes that perhaps are needed. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, where my mind went when, when, when you were asking that question, and, and this may be 
sidebarring a little bit, but um, you know, the, um, I think back to the automotive revolution and when cars became uh, a big thing, moving from horse buggies to cars, yep. there were a number of industries that were transformed, not just the transportation industry. Right. right? Um, uh, those who bred horses, right, that whole industry and the uh, uh, agriculture feed industry completely, you know, uh, was, was transformed. Yeah. The, the financing industry was transformed because people were buying cars and how do you provide financing, right. infrastructure. So I think about the same in the context of manufacturing, right? Um, I'm putting on my, 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 my thinking hat for a second here. Sure. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about manufacturers needing to be more agile and being, being more responsive. Um, uh, uh, in the face of change, and you know, we've we've heard manufacturers talk about, um, uh, you know, putting plexiglass up on the manufacturing floors to help help the workers work safely. We've heard manufacturers talk about, you know, how much of our business we could do remotely, yeah, uh, with only a few people needing to be on site, and the rest, you know, looking at the facility from their home homes yeah. and, and managing it that way. Yeah, uh, we've also heard manufacturers talk about. Um, how um, you know uh, it's become more and more critical to get accurate data. So you can imagine the increase you'll see in sensor sales over time. Yeah, oh, without and a doubt. How yeah. IT infrastructure is going to change. Uh, but the other big one is, is is supply chain. So we're we're actually seeing a lot of manufacturers talk about moving supply chains closer together. Yeah. Uh, and not relying on globally distributed supply chains because it does have a high risk of disruption. Right. Um, and uh, you know you can think about um, what impact that may have on uh, nearshoring uh, manufacturing or development um, across the industry, and not just automotive, but across other other industries. Right? I I I've spent less time in uh, the paper industry, yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm not as familiar with with the impact that, that industry would have had or, or would have, sure. uh, or, or how that might transform. But you know, we're looking at the food and beverage industry, for example. Um, and um, uh, you know, you think about these um, uh, vegan uh, 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 imitation meat products yeah. um, that rely on the uh, uh, peas industry for yeah. for, uh, for for protein. Yeah. And you can imagine what that supply chain looked like before and after the pandemic, as yeah. uh, demand skyrocketed, Without and not doubt. just the manufacturing side, but the agriculture side. Yeah. Right? Um, so it's it, it's interesting it's interesting to watch what's happening and, and, and uh, exciting at the same time. Yeah, I and no, that's all. Those are all really good points. I think it's uh, it is as a consumer, you know, you kind of have a lens of what you think mm -hmm. and, and kind of how you view things, and then you know, you think about manufacturing has changed so much over time, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. and you know, there's um, there's certainly warehouses in many places that have lots of goods, those get depleted and you're doing just-in-time manufacturing, mm -hmm. then you know, it's, it's, it's a longer time to replenish that supply or, or meet that demand. So it's very interesting dynamic that we've created for a, a number of, of products. Exactly. So one of our, one of our uh, uh, customers, Toyotetsu, which is one of the biggest suppliers to the Toyota supply chain, right. um, they, they've been able to get to a point with Flex where they maintain two hours of inventory on the plant floor. Okay, yeah. Two hours. Yeah. Right, so, I mean, you, 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 you can imagine the agility that takes 
to track and manage and make yeah. sure there's two hours worth of inventory, everything else is, is yeah. off the plant. All right. Yeah. That, 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 that's truly just in time. And then how you need to manage the supply chain behind behind that to maintain, you know, two hours and not more. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's it's that's a that is extreme optimization, right? Exactly. That's yeah, exactly. That, that's amazing. It's so, interesting when, when most of us talk about manufacturing, we think about big factories that make cars and automotive parts and whatnot. But um, it every time I talk to someone who's new to manufacturing, I kind of have to remind them that look at every physical thing around you. Yes. It has come to you from some manufacturing floor. Yes. Um, right. We, we wouldn't live in this material world that we live in if it wasn't for the critical role that manufacturing plays in our lives. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes we forget that when we look at everything, like my monitor, my, my coffee mug, the blinds, piece of yeah. paper, right? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, too, it's also, it's not, you know, the manufacturers, there are raw materials in manufactured goods in parts mm -hmm. and it's not it's not all manufactured in-house mm -hmm. so uh there's lots of lots of manufacturers that go into you know these lovely devices yeah. that we love so so well yeah. and um in the the food and beverages and and all the things that, that we consume so it's certainly interesting to me that COVID i think has put a spotlight on manufacturing mm -hmm. and supply chain in general and yeah. logistics yeah. um and I think it's perhaps pointed out that, um, you know, a, a lot of consumers don't necessarily understand, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what, what, how the supply chain works today and how yep. optimized it is. Yep. Um, and when we end up having kind of these rushes um, and, you know, this demand for goods that normally don't have this kind of peak, then, mm -hmm. and it puts pressure on, on the supply chain for sure. It also creates a lot of opportunity you know, as we talked about uh, agile, agile manufacturing and, and opportunities yep. to continue to, to drive, drive improvements. Yep. yep. Well, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, um, and you've got, got a couple more questions for you. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what we're super passionate about, you know, digital transformation for what we do with Anvil. You know, our, our whole goal is to help move frontline workers, particularly around safety from, mm -hmm. from those paper forms and processes to digital um, especially for workers that are in those highly dynamic and hazardous environments. So I'd mm -hmm. love to kind of get your take on this. You know, there's, we still see across the board, irrespective of the industry, there are huge amounts of dependency on paper, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially for frontline workers. And that's despite all the wonderful tech that we have in place and software devices and mobile devices. And you know, what would you tell leaders in those companies um, about the importance uh, for, for innovation as, as it relates to those frontline workers or innovation for the frontline workers? For, I mean, keeping the workers in mind, there's, there's two things um, that, uh, that I keep going back to. I mentioned a couple times, 40% of the manufacturing workforce will retire in 10 years. Yeah. And I, and I cannot stress enough why that is so important because for manufacturers to compete, they need to find a way to fill that talent or look for efficiencies uh, that they could operate with fewer people. Um, and if they need to find ways to fill that talent, the next generation of millennial talent they want to hire, yeah. don't always want to work in a manufacturing plant, right? Because the industry yeah. is considered archaic and old school. Yeah. Um, you think, you know, someone who relies on this 
for everything all day long. I'm, I'm holding up my cell phone yeah. for, for, for someone who might not be watching the video. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, do you think they will want to go work in a paper-based process? Do you think that's going to fulfill them day to day? Right. Um, so I always think about, are you catering to the needs of your, not only your current workforce, but your evolving workforce? Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, technology and digital transformation helps cater to attracting that, you know, millennial talent. Business efficiency aside, I think that, that point's been beat to death, right? How much value we can drive yeah, for business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but you have to think about, um, you know, how will you attract the next generation, next generation of talent? Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that part's extremely critical. Yeah. Now, and, I... I, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more on that because I view that kind of the, the younger worker today. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they've had, you know, smartphones since they were 10. Mm -hmm. If you hand them, you know, a clipboard, a paper and say, yep. go fill all this out, you know, they just got through looking at, you know, the news and sports reports and texting their kids. And right. so it is just so foreign for them to think about, uh, I'm working for this innovative company that probably, you know, builds very innovative things, you yep. know, manufactures innovative yep. things. Why are we still on paper? It, it is, it's definitely something that, that we see that needs to, that, that we need to think about solving it. Com completely agreed. And, and, and the second part of that is, um, you know, uh, not only to think about technology from the perspective of, you know, how it appeals to the end users, but also how you drive adoption. Right. In the world, in the world of digital transformation or uh, industry 4.0, we, we hear a lot about uh, you know uh, uh, this term McKinsey coined uh, pilot purgatory, yeah. and a lot of manufacturers try new technologies and then get stuck in what they yeah. call pilot purgatory. Right, they just never get past pilots. Yeah. Um, and again, keeping the people in mind, uh, you know what we found is a successful formula for transformation um, is to think about change management, technology, people, process. Right. Um, and a lot of manufacturers think about the technology yes. and uh, how it would improve the process, but they forget to bring the people alongside it. They forget to um, help you know, change behaviors and practices on manufacturing floors. Yeah. Um, and if you forget the people, you're never gonna drive this change management, right? So I yeah. talked about the, the, the manufacturing ecosystem being this massive interconnected web and you have to move the entire industry along. Yeah. Um, the same happens with people on a manufacturing floor, right? It's all these interconnected systems of physical assets and individual people and behaviors. You have to move everything along together. Otherwise, transformation is hard to see. So, yeah. uh, you know, thinking about frontline workers, it, it, it's critical to think about both those things, right? Appealing yeah. to the next gen generation of talent, but also involving the people in this transformation. Yeah, I think too, I agree with that completely. And I think another thing that's interesting is while you want to involve the people, I think, I think there is some, some fear around involving the people, you know, you've got mm -hmm. union shops and you've got maybe the frontline worker that still uses a flip phone and, yeah. you know, doesn't want to be hassled with new technology. But I think um, what we found is that frontline workers are very resilient. And if there is value that they see, mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't take a lot to, to get them on board. You know, they, there may be, there may be resistance and, and maybe, um, you know, some pushback initially, but if solutions add value and you engage them, as you mentioned, in the process early, um, then actually the move to, to digital can actually 
and off paper can actually occur much faster. It okay. doesn't take, you know, year long pilots to make sure that you bring everybody along that can actually yep. happen pretty fast. Yep. Um, so I think that's, that's a, that's certainly on my personal wish list that, um, you know, to, to your point about pilots that, that we, that we could get off paper faster. Mm -hmm. um, Cause there's some, so much benefit there for, for really everybody involved. Mm -hmm. All right. So last question, and I know you've got this. So let's talk about your personal wish list. Where would you like to see innovation go in your lifetime? Um, kind of what, what would you like to see and why was it, why is it important? Anything goes, it doesn't have to be manufacturing, but I'd love yeah. to get your take on this as a, as a entrepreneurial, uh, you know, leader and, uh, you know, really kind of an, I view you as an innocent inventor. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's interesting. You know, the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm a technologist and entrepreneur. So, you know, stuff like this is always on my mind. Yeah. And uh, uh, my wife and I were talking about something similar just, just a few days ago. And uh, we're talking about, you know, can you imagine 25 years ago, what we have in our daily lives that we consider normal today yeah. was the thing, you know, was, was part of science fiction. Right? Oh, yeah. Talking to a voice assistant, voice assistant like Siri or Alexa and, you know, yeah. barking commands, expecting this thing to respond and do what you want or self-driving cars where you can take your hands off the wheel and the car will take you where you want to go. Yeah. Or, uh, or you know, playing chess with an AI uh, bot and, 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 and yeah. getting for a full, you know, good quality game. Um, I, I can probably think of so many more examples, but uh, it, it it's amazing how far technology and innovation has come 25 years ago and we yeah. may never have expected it this way. Um, like playing virtual reality or augmented reality games on your phone. I mean, you know, you pretty amazing. This was all science fiction back then. <laughs> um, um, so as, as I think about, as I think about what the next 25 years may look like, you know, I, I um, the, the thing that excites me the most perhaps is, um, the power of artificial intelligence yeah. and AI and what it's going to do to transform our lives um, across multiple fields and multiple disciplines. We're already seeing glimpses of what, what it can do for, you know, uh, uh, digital assistance or right. uh, self-driving cars. But I think there's an opportunity to use AI to solve problems. We don't even know how to frame it. That's um, true. Yeah. Right. And, and, and uh, you know, taking that a step further, um, this is another thing the last, last few years have shown us is um, innovation versus good innovation versus bad innovation. Yeah. And how uh, good technology in the wrong hands could, could be, um, uh, 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 you know, could, could have painful consequences. Yeah. Um, so so I, I'd, I'd love to see us move towards a framework for responsible innovation. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah, you know, if uh, you know, too much of what we innovate with and what we do today is driven by capitalist needs, uh, what if it was driven by social needs to right. you know, make the world a better place? Right. I, I I don't know if I've I don't know if I've got the answer, but what's the guardrails you could put in place to think about uh, you know, how to control the innovation that you have to make sure it's a force for good and not a force for evil? Yeah. Um, is that something AI could help you model out, right? Play that game of chess 30 years out and see what you need to control, what you need to do. Um, 
but you know, that's that that's what I think about. You know, the, the the pace of innovation is super exciting. Yeah, but if, if, if only there's a way we could guarantee this was a responsible innovation, yeah. um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd feel safe, um, uh, you know, knowing what we're doing is, 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 is a world I'd be comfortable letting my kids grow up in yeah. uh, or, or, or live in you know, like long after we're gone, right? The next generation, the generation after that. Um, how do we get to responsible innovation? So that, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. No, that's a lot to take in and think about. And I think those are, I mean, those are amazing points. I, I'm, I am much older than you and still marvel at my cell phone or my smartphone every day. Um, but when you think about how we could apply innovation to, as you mentioned, social change and even mm-hmm. what we've done, we'll go back to COVID again, what mm-hmm. companies have done to innovate and move fast yeah. to supply the needed equipment. Um, we, we obviously need more, um, you know, but, um, there's so much opportunity. It's, it's very exciting. Uh, exactly. Exciting times. Well, as always, I absolutely enjoy talking. You and I can talk all day long. I know we could. <laughs> Thir- <laughs> this was a thoroughly, pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Thoroughly enjoy our conversation. Uh, appreciate your viewpoints and uh, the color. So, so thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.